Hello and welcome to Straight Talk, Supply Chain Insights, the podcast for your supply chain leader who is on the go and wants to be in the know. And now, your host, Laura Sassiri. Welcome to Straight Talk with Supply Chain Insights. This podcast is designed for the supply chain leader who wants to gain first moving advantage. Today, I'm interviewing Anthony Halcroft, and Anthony is the founder of Swarm Engineering, and I recently interviewed him for the digital showcase for the Supply Chain Insights Global Summit, and I just really love the work that he's done on formulating questions. So, Anthony, thanks for joining the show. Tell the group a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Laura. Well, um, as you can probably tell from the accent, I'm English from Oxford, but I do live in Southern California. I have uh, two large dogs that like to bark during podcasts and conference calls. Um, And I've always worked in technology in companies like Microsoft and Texas Instruments, along with uh, a bunch of startups. Uh, I I was going to say as well, I didn't actually go to university. I started my career as a computer operator at Kraft Foods, where I know you also worked, Laura. Um, But later in life, I did go back to Oxford University and did a uh, creative writing uh, course. And I've I've subsequently had a whole bunch of short stories published, as well as the the nonfiction book questions. What a whirlwind craft has been, but let's leave that for another part. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your book. Uh, what was the genesis of the book on questions and what did you learn? Well, the genesis, I, I came, I was going to do a business trip to South Africa and I was asked to present to what I thought was going to be four or five people and turned out to be 300 CEOs of all the top companies in South Africa. Um, and I'd written a little presentation on the flight. Uh, And the the concept was um, we had a technical platform that I thought could answer people's questions. And I thought, therefore, it was was more important for people to understand what type of questions they should be asking of the platform rather than worrying about the technology. And I did this presentation, which which was a bit terrifying with this huge audience that I hadn't quite anticipated. But I got a phenomenal reaction to it. And I realized there was something really key about questions that everyone was fascinated with. And I decided I'd explore it more. And over six or seven years, that turned into uh, a book. And what did you find out about the formulation of good questions? Because I just think this is such a deep discussion because I often see people chasing after the answers, but having the wrong question or not being clear on the question. And I just think this is such a really important topic. I agree. And I think maybe I'll come out and give you like my five key learnings at some point. But I think what would be good is I could give you the real example that kicked me off and showed the difference between a good or a bad question. And it's the example I used in South Africa, too. And it's a very simple one, which is I, I, I'm a runner, just, you know, amateur, just go out and run every, every couple of days. And I'd been doing a lot of 10K runs, so six miles of your Imperial. And my time was pretty static at about 50 minutes. And every, every month I was thinking to myself, how do I run faster? That was my personal question. How do I run faster? And the magazines were all about, you know, diet and visioning and new trainers and you know, all these various different things. But a friend asked me a very specific question, which was to run faster, do you increase cadence or stride length? And it was a really specific question that made me think. And I went and did some research and I found that the real answer is you do both, but cadence is much easier to change. So the very next day I went out and did a run. 
and I just tried changing my cadence as as in I discovered on social media the best way to do it. And instead of running 50 minutes, which is what I've been doing for two years, my next run I did in 44 minutes. So absolutely huge difference. And it it took me from running, I was doing a few races and I was coming in the middle of the pack and I suddenly started winning medals at all the races. And I thought the reason that had happened is because someone had asked me such a great specific question. And I thought, what if the question was about sales revenue? You know, um, we're always thinking, how do I improve my sales revenue? But what if there was a really good specific question that you could ask that would have the same impact that that guy's question had had on my running? And that was really the genesis of if you get the right question, it can make a huge difference to performance. Absolutely. And let's take this to business because... Anthony, I know you work with a lot of business leaders and you're doing yep. quite a bit of work in manufacturing. Can you give a similar example in business? Yeah, sure. I think, um, I mean, I, I get examples every day, literally every day when I'm talking to people. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about they were doing daily replenishment or they were about to start a daily replenishment on their supply chain. It's very easy sometimes to just ask questions for the sake of questions and start asking about, you know, how many trucks they're using or, you know, which carriers they want to use and what the price is and so on. But actually, when they started talking about daily replenishment, I I asked a question around the impact that had on their uh, use of LTL. So whether they were filling the trucks, because if you do daily replenishment, suddenly the challenge is you may not have enough to fill your truck. And the reaction I got from the customer in this point uh, was phenomenal. He said, you know, that's an amazing question. It really it shows, you, you know, the, the challenge we've got. And that is the big problem with what we're, we're facing with daily replenishment. We can't fill the trucks effectively. So it's too costly for us. So for me, sometimes the right question, and one of the things I've learned from doing the question book, it's about having an underlying model where you're trying to understand what it is people are trying to achieve. Uh, and what I see, you mentioned earlier, Laura, about, you know, where you see questions that don't work so well. And they're often where people are asking questions for questions sake. And I think where questions work really far more effectively is when you've actually got an underlying model of how something works and you're trying to fill in the, the missing gaps with the questions to understand what's actually occurring. I think that's brilliant. I also believe that questioning is part of active listening. And I also believe that if you can't be open to the outcome to listen for the mental model, that you're not able to formulate the right questions. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, uh, I think that the, the questions we ask actually reveal a lot about ourselves and our mental models as well. I got asked a while back by a sales team to list my favorite sales questions, and I actually realized when I sat down to do it I didn't have any because I actually don't go in with a bunch of questions about budget or you know what people are currently doing what I go in with is a mental model about how does this business operate how does this process operate what's the scale Uh, who are their customers where do they make money where do they lose money and what I'm really doing is asking questions to understand that mental model to see where there might be gaps So, and I saw something fascinating by a psychologist who said she does the same with people. So she has a mental model about a healthy way the mind works. And when she's asking people questions, she's really trying to understand their mental model to see where they may have gaps or issues. 
So I think those models are really critical. And those models themselves, of course, come from our questioning of how things work and understanding something. So questions are fundamental to the way we actually build our mental maps and then detail them for specific instances. And I think our ability to be self-reflective and to ask ourselves what our mental model is, is really key in this whole process. But what have you learned about questions, Anthony, as you've written the book and you've talked mm-hmm. to people about it? What kind of insights can you share? So I I, uh, I was thinking about this. I have a whole long list, but I picked five that I think are the key learnings that, that I personally came to understand having researched the book. So I'll just step through them. So number one is that questions are fundamental to everything we do, and they're a key element that makes us human. We've we've actually trained different animals like chimps and dolphins and pigeons and so on to answer questions. And they've got very good at doing it. And they can, you know, answer questions as well as a five-year-old and things. But the only animal known to have asked a question of a human is a parrot who actually looked in the mirror once and asked what color it was. It was an African gray parrot. And I think it's fascinating in that it seems to be a uniquely human capability to actually formulate questions. So I think my first learning was that questions are genuinely fundamental to what makes us human. The second one, which is fairly terrifying, is that questions can actually change our memories. There was a fantastic study by a lady called Elizabeth Loftus in the 1970s, who showed people some some videos about cars crashing and then asked questions. And in some of the questions, they used the verb smashed. And in other questions, they they used the verb contacted. And they asked the the group how fast the, the vehicles were going using those different verbs. And there was a 10 mile per hour difference in the estimate based on the way the question had been phrased. And even more remarkable, they did a a later test where they just asked people whether they'd seen any broken glass in the video. And depending upon the way they asked the question, they got double the number of people to say yes, just by the way they phrased the question. So they were fundamentally changing the way people actually remembered an incident based on the questions they asked. So I found that that was something I had never really come across. And I find that quite remarkable that actually the way we use questions actually changes the way we think and the way we remember events. So that was my second one. Third one's a quick one, which is I discovered that science is really just knowledge built by layering questions. The whole scientific method, the scientific approach, it's really in my head like compound interest for ideas. You, you come up with a question, you test it, you validate it, you try and build a hypothesis that lets you prove it false. And then you, once you've proven that, you move on to the next question. So science is really just layering of questions. And the fourth one, which is connected to that, is that every profession, and science in a way is a profession, has specific questioning methodologies. So salespeople ask questions in a very different way to policemen or a teacher. There are whole different industries just to train people how to ask questions in each of those industries. Uh, And the final one, you've actually already covered, Laura. The final one is that questions really reveal a lot about ourselves, the questions we ask and our internal mental models. So I think it's as interesting to listen to people's questions as it is to ask them. You know, as I think about technology, Anthony, and I think about the data scientists and I think about what tremendous potential there is with the evolution of technology, but I watch people struggle to frame the questions for the data scientists. 
And I think it's a huge gap and opportunity for them. Any insight about how people with different disciplines and different mental models can make bridges through questions? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And it, it is tough, as you say, people, um, people do have diff- those different mental models. I think one of the one of the things I look at for doing in that is actually help people document what their mental model is. We're actually doing some work at Swarm at the moment on creating what we call uh, uh, no pars or knowledge paragraphs. And really what we're doing is building out mental models of specific processes in supply chain. We're not fixing those. People can change and adapt them. But I found if you put a, men, a model out there and say, this is what we think a load plan looks like, or this is what we think yield optimization looks like, then you, you give people the opportunity to challenge that and question that and to put their own mental model against it. So I actually think a great way of bridging the gap between people from different areas is to share those mental models in a written format in a way that lets people test their own models and and reality is you know your model and my model will be subtly different but if we put them together they'll be stronger so i think my recommendation there is to actually help people document what the mental model is they have on a particular process and and share them and discuss those i think that's a great way of bridging the gap what's the best way to do that anthony is it a whiteboard is it you know some kind of visual map any insight on what works i think it's it's whatever works for those people. So I've definitely done it on a whiteboard. I've done it in a Word document. We're actually specifically putting, you know, time and effort into giving a modeling tool that lets people do this. We actually do it with a series of questions. You won't be surprised to hear. We use something, it looked, the, the no path thing I mentioned looks a little bit like a, the kid's Mandalib grid that you might play in a car with, with like a paragraph with some blanks in. But I think the approach can vary depending upon who it is you're dealing with. You know, some people are more auditory, some are more visual. So I think whatever technique works best for the people involved. But the key is it has to be something that everyone can look at and touch. So we, we, we do it as a model um, with text and we produce a PDF document to share. But I have done it on whiteboards. I have done it in Word documents as well. Well, I'm so excited you're going to be joining us at this year's Global Summit. And I was actually very flattered. And when you told me it, you thought it was one of the best summits you'd ever attended. So I can't Absolutely. wait to have you join the group and uh, help us answer and ask better questions. Yeah. And it's it's one of those terrifying things, isn't it, Laura? It's a, it's a bit like learning a language. If if somebody says, hey, I'm an expert on questions, and then you get asked about a question, you can't think of a single question to say. It's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit like, uh, but, but I was going to say, I, I'm going to give you one example of a question that I, I just like to highlight as what I would call a killer question. And I'm going to mention it because I saw it at a conference. And it's probably one of the best questions I've ever seen asked. In the book, I talk about these killer questions. It's really one that stops the room and makes everybody reconsider the way they were thinking. And they can be very powerful. I've seen it in a few meetings, but I saw it at this particular conference. And the speaker was talking about uh, technology in the next wave of smart weapons. And he talked about, you know, bullets that could swerve towards their targets and the latest advances in drone and robots and the damage that they could deliver. And at the end, when the speaker asked for questions, one lady put her hand up and they gave her the mic and she said, thank you for the information on smart battlefields. When will we get smart diplomacy? And it just stopped the whole conversation dead. The guy didn't know what to say, but I thought, what a brilliant question. Um, because 
it completely transformed the way we were all thinking about what that person had just presented. And it wasn't, it wasn't negative. It was, you know, it was very, um, she did it in a very humble way, but I thought it was a brilliant question and it really challenged the thinking of a lot of people in the room. So let's hope we get some questions like that at the conference. It's not always comfortable for the speaker, but I think it's fantastic for the audience when you get people that are really that engaged and that that thoughtful to come up with questions like that. Absolutely. And so together we're going to imagine 2030. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to great questions. And I always love working with the audience because they're just the smartest people I know. And they're really thinking hard. And hopefully you'll help to pepper some of those great questions into the dialogue. I look forward Absolutely. to seeing you there. Yeah, and I, was, I look forward to coming. And I tell you what, Laura, I'll, I'll bring a handful of copies of the book, which you can give away um, for, for people at the event as well. Awesome. And if people want to buy your book, I bought your book off of Amazon. Um, What would you recommend? Where should people go to get your book? Yeah, Amazon is the best place. It's uh, there as a Kindle or a a paperback. So I'm sure we can put a link up somewhere or they can come and check out our website. Awesome. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for joining us today. Any last minute thoughts before we leave? I would just say, uh, I think, one of the things that uh, I also discovered was that AI doesn't yet answer questions. And I say that from a business context, we're all sometimes a little scared about AI taking all of our jobs. But one of the things I really learned from the book is that humans and AI work together really well because the thing that humans are good at is questions. And what AI is quite good at doing these days is answering them. So I see uh, when we talk about supply chain 2030, I think the democratization of AI with humans asking the questions is the next really big thing. So I'm excited to talk about that at supply chain 2030. Awesome. Until then, thank you, Anthony. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. My name is Laura Ciceri, and I'm the founder of Supply Chain Insights. And I want to give you a personal invitation to join this year's Supply Chain Insights Global Summit. Now in its eighth year of doing this conference, we designed this for a unique experience for supply chain leaders to learn from technology leaders to think differently and drive new outcomes. We're hoping that you can make it on September 7th through the 9th in Franklin, Tennessee. In the conference, we handpick all of the speakers and we design the conference for a unique networking experience so that you leave to build a guiding coalition for change. We hope to see you there.